Hello, fortune seekers. New collectible card games are on the rise, but is this a renaissance or is this a gold rush that's gonna leave many holding a bag full of worthless cardboard? Our guest today, Brian Polanco, has ventured into the frontier and he is here to tell us if Magic the Gathering is still the TCG daddy or if there's some new kids on the block. This and so much more on the Megamoth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Shh, don't tell anyone about it. Welcome back to the show, Fortune Seekers. I'm your host, HEB Loyalist and Bucky's Cultist, Joel Watts, joined as always by... Danny, relatively boring by comparison. Yeah, and this week we have a special guest joining us today is Bryant Polanco. Bryant, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Thank you for having me. Mike. Of course. We are super excited for that. Uh, welcome, yeah. welcome. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed talking to you guys. It's been great meeting you guys, and now get to experience this. Yeah, we've yeah been definitely banking questions. So uh, we have a lot of a lot of things we want to pick your brain about today. Yeah, but before we get into that, we'd just love to give a recap up front about uh, last week's episode. So last week we discussed strategies for dealing with creative differences in partnerships. So if you want to hear about that or the dozens of other topics we've covered at this point, please delve back into your podcast app or on YouTube and check out one of our other programs. And while you're there, why don't you go ahead and rate the show, please. Five out of five only. Today, we're going to get to know our guest, Bryant, uh, and we're going to talk about the TCG landscape. So to get to know Bryant better, well, we always like to start the show with a question of the week. This week, it's going to have a lot of questions, but this is the most important question, Bryant. Are you ready for it? I'm, oh, I'm ready. Okay. If you could have one superpower, what would you choose and why? Oh, for me, I, and I've thought about this question a lot, so... Uh, <laughs> for me, it would be super speed. I've always had a thing for super speed. I'm a bigger guy. Uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, obviously when it comes to the stereotypical super speeder, uh, most of the time they've been very thin track star kind of people, but mm -hmm. I've always thought it'd be interesting to see kind of like, you know, see a bigger guy, be a speedster, catch people by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome. That's a great image for a movie, man. Like that, you got to get what that character. What would your super? What would be your super name? Like your your alias? Oh, that see that I have I've never thought of. I never thought of. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to think about that one because that that's an important thing. Your name is very important. Well, we'll ask you uh, maybe uh, next time you're on. <laughs> yeah, I, it can be tough coming up with a name. You should see I, I, if you haven't seen we ha we've shown people the journal for us coming up with a name for our game x secrets of fortune and there was at least like three dozen names that i wrote down that were all like just garbage names so you know just sit down one day take like three hours write down every idea you have and eventually you'll you'll forget all of those and come up with a good one that's true hey and x secrets is a great name i love that oh, thank you oh thank you uh danny i guess now it's your turn what would your superpower be if you could choose well um I think as as a blue player, I would have to go with time dilation. <laughs> I really would love to be able to mess with timelines, freeze things, speed things up, mm -hmm. go back in time. Uh, you almost sound like you'd be Bryant's arch nemesis then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it, it certainly could be a possibility. I think there's a, I forget exactly 
I think it's called, I think it's time wipe. The flavor text is something like Teferi's like, it's all a bit technical, but basically they never were born at all or something like that. <laughs> yeah, so. I, oh, I, I love Teferi and that's a great line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's my favorite uh, Planeswalker. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Teferi forever, Jace, boo, that's my opinion. <laughs> I don't like either of yeah. those blue. Yeah, well, <laughs> I feel at least a fair, at least a fairy has his, his foot in white as well, right? Yeah, that's true. It doesn't yeah, stop but, him from wrecking formats. Little Teferi no. definitely was the bane of a lot of people's existence for a while. For sure. No, I, I like time dilation. It's a really, uh, it's a solid like wizard power. There was a one of the what is it in Dragon Ball Z? Brian, are you? I've, I'm just assuming you're a Dragon Ball Z fan. I am a Dragon Ball Z fan. Yes. Yeah, the one they. Was it the Ginjin Force? One of their guys could stop time by uh, holding his breath. Yep, the Ginyu Force. That was a uh, Gordo. Ginyu. Gordo was yeah. his name. Yes. It, it was like the one time that like they went up against somebody who was like a total scrub of a fighter, but actually put up a challenge. He did, and and it's so crazy because the only reason why I always remember that whole storyline is because mm-hmm. I obviously grew up here in the United States and we watched pretty much like Dragon Ball Z, like on Toonami was the spot yeah. to watch it. Um, yes. And it was edited and there was an episode where Gohan fights Gordo and he beats him so bad that they couldn't even edit the blood out. They just scratched the, the footage. So when you're watching it on TV, you're like, what's going on behind all these scratches? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. I always remember that. Okay. You know what I always remember about that uh, for me when it comes to Dragon Ball Z, and I'll give my answer to the question of the week after this, is I don't know if you're part of, I'm not sure how old you are, Bryant, but I was of an age where the that fight was one of the last things that happened before they ran out of episodes that were dubbed and they had to reset the series and play it all over again. All over again. Yeah, and it was like, free. you know, it's like I've been sitting there waiting for Goku to go Super Saiyan. Goku had just arrived. Like, they didn't even have like a proper fight with Goku, he had just arrived on the planet and that's where they decided, uh, you know, to stop. I was so upset. That kind of like almost wrecked my deep Dragon Ball Z appreciation <laughs> because I was like, you know, it was like, I was, I was, you know, what is it? Uh, I felt jilted, you know? <laughs> I still have not delved into the Dragon Ball Z. I, oh. maybe, maybe one day. I, right now I'm working through One Piece, so we'll see. Uh, well, I mean, so I may not survive one- that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I, I'm not sure if you will, Danny. Um, so I thought about this a bit. I forgot who said this, but somebody a long time ago, I remember hearing them say, well, you have to, and I'm really happy to hear what you, you two chose, because they said you have to choose either flying or invisibility. I forgot what their reasoning was. It was like a stand-up comedian. But the older I get, the more I'm like, both of those superpowers are going to mess you up. If you're invisible, somebody is going to like crash into you, you know, if you're trying to walk the streets. And if you're flying... I, I, we are not meant to fly. You'd have to have like so much protective gear on, uh, in order to survive flying. You, you like, those are like powers you need with other f- powers, like indestructibility. So I'm just going to go with a tried and true one that I am aspiring to by going to the gym. I'm going to go with super strength. I just think it would be very, it's, it's such, such a bread and butter power, but come on. That's like, there's a reason it's a bread and butter power. It gets the job done. done. Yeah. Yes, super strength is is a good one, but I I do agree with you. I do not. I am anti flying. I think flying is one of those powers when you're a kid, you uh, you thrive to get. But uh, I don't know if you guys watched the boys, but after watching the boys and figuring out the science behind flying, I'm like, yeah, that's a dangerous power to have. That's a very <laughs> dangerous power to have. <laughs> 
And I, yeah, I feel like exactly. invisibility, it would just depend on like how much control do you have? Like, are you always invisible? Can you like choose your spots? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what, what in this scenario, what are we talking about? I guess you do get to choose your spots. I'm sure there has to be, you know, it's for it to be an interesting power. You probably have to have some sort of cooldown, or it has to last a certain amount of time. But I'll say you get to choose your spots. You're not just constantly invisible. But I, mean, I, I feel like every superpower ha- has to have some inherent risks. But uh, mm-hmm. I feel like invisibility should be manageable. I, I feel like it'd be yeah. more manageable than flying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I agree. It's it's. Of the two, I would choose invisibility over flying myself, but still, super strength. Can't go wrong. Yeah. I you know, know good old rock. It never fails. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, uh, now that we've gotten through that, Bryant, why don't we go ahead and get into some more questions for you? Now, from what I understand, you're, uh, you have a TikTok account. So why don't we go ahead and get the plugging done up first? Bryant, why don't you tell people where they can find you? If they like you on this episode, where would they find you? So you can find me on either Instagram or TikTok under J underscore Crane 87 TCG. Uh, you know, it's funny content, memes surrounding around TCGs, new and old. But yeah, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And you also said you are starting a podcast with some friends. Yes, we actually were on episode three. It's called The Rogue Contenders. Um, and... I do not have a direct link, but I'll make sure to provide it to you guys. But you can check us out on RSS or Spotify. And yeah, that's going also very well. Awesome. Excellent. Well, I'm sure we're going to post those in the show notes so people you can follow those in order to get what in, you guys in front of Bryant's content. So we cover it's Alpha Clash. It's a new TCG that nice. came out about July. Uh, we're all three pretty big fans of the game. We both, you know, play, collect sell uh and we're very active in the community so we decided to come together you know before this we never knew each other uh but yeah uh me and ryoten which is one of the other members we had originally done a charity battle which is on youtube so we took this new tcg we created decks we created a hype around it making it seem like it was kind of like a ufc fight uh (laughs) where me and him would go back and forth and then we you know we did it for charity and yeah it was great I love the sound of that. Nice. Mm-hmm. That sounds like really good marketing and, you know, to create some nice, nice hype there. Um, so uh, on your TikTok, uh, I think I, I've seen a few of your TikToks. You tend to play characters? Yes. Uh, so mostly when I first started my TikTok, um, it was just pack openings like most people I feel start on TikTok. Uh, but it was about getting me to open up more. I've had a, a long battle with my weight, uh, which made me, you know, have certain things that happen and it made it so that I wasn't very confident, even though my whole life I've been about performing. I've performed on stage. I've, you know, been in troops that sold out theaters, but internally there has always been a battle and TikTok <laughs> opened me up. It opened me up to a community that started originally with, uh, Magic the Gathering and now has expanded to now I cover different indie games, make jokes on different players, you know, just spreading around the love to uh, to everybody. And I feel like it's working out. I'm not huge, but I'm big enough where I'm happy and I have a great community. So I appreciate everything. Yeah, I, I noticed, you know, and you know, we talk about this as much as you want. But I mean, you've talked a little bit about having uh, anxiety and depression. 
on TikTok. And, you know, I just wondered, like, as a content creator, how, how do you manage that? Uh, I mean, you, you touched on it a little bit, but you might just kind of, I mean, I think there's probably a lot of people out there with anxiety and depression who have an interest in TikTok and maybe would want to get into it, but aren't sure, you know, if they can, like, what would you say to them? So I think the the main battle that you have to face when it comes to being a content creator, whether big or small, uh, is you have to be open to the fact that a lot of people are going to criticize you and it's not always your fault. And it's unfortunate that we live in a society that's like that, but it happens. Um, sometimes it does take its soul. I'm not going to say that, oh, yeah, you know, get a thick skin and you'll be able to make it through anything. So there's going to be days where it, you know, it does hurt. There's going to be days where you're able to just brush it off. Uh, but at the end of the day, you just kind of have to see yourself separate yourself from everyone else because there's also an internal battle that you face that has to do with watching other people grow while maybe you're stale for a moment mm -hmm. or you know you're seeing people that you feel like you're putting out either better content or at least the same content but for some reason they're popping off and you're not um those are battles that you do have to face so it is hard i won't say that it's an easy thing i won't say that every day is going to be fun uh, I've taken mental health vacations from it because sometimes the negativity is too much. Uh, but at the end of the day, I feel like that community and the being openness does grow when you put yourself out there. So I don't think anyone should hold themselves back. It will be hard, but I feel like anything in life that's good is hard. Was there like a moment where you felt like a real content creator for the first time? I think the first time that I went over a hundred thousand views on a video, <laughs> wow. that that I think was the where I felt big enough, where I was proud. I was really proud, and it it it, it happened. TikTok is a weird place. Like I know yes. you're honestly, TikTok <laughs> is a weird place. You could be doing so much work and putting out so much content and it always feels like the most you can get is 200 views but when mm -hmm. you go viral and when you put out some good content and it blows up there's nothing like it the messages your phone just going crazy it's it's a hype <laughs> what was the video do you remember um the first video that it was so it was a video that i did where i did a skit about the different types of commander players and okay. one of them that i did was what i called the botanist which is pretty <laughs> much your friend that smokes it recreationally during uh -huh. a match and how they react during the game and it made people laugh <laughs> I mean, I think we've all been the botanist at a table before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I was going to say, I think you know, you're in the Magic the Gathering and the overall TCG TikTok communities. Uh, how would you describe the Magic the Gathering TikTok community? I think they were to say Magic Talk. Yeah. Uh, I think they're very mostly positive. In the time that I've been a, a content creator, which has been right under three years now, um, I've seen people come and go. And what I've noticed is when there's a bad seed, 
it's very quick that they get removed. Like, if people genuinely know someone is bad, it's a matter of time before you, you know, people start passing messages on the background that are like, hey, I see that you're following this person. This is what's going on. And I've seen some toxic things, but mostly I would say the magic community on TikTok, at least, is very, very positive. And is there a difference between magic talk and TCG talk at large? Like, do you see a difference between the different card game communities online or so? Um, I think that the biggest thing that I've noticed is TCG talk is a lot more open to playing different things. Magic players are very much magic is the only thing (laughs) I won't give anything else a try um we've noticed yeah like for example i'll even say i took a big hit when i started making my switch to kind of half magic content half alpha clash content and other tcgs uh i noticed a drop in videos immediately immediately immediately. even in followers like you could you know you may see one day that you've gone five or ten followers down and it's just because they got tired of seeing content that wasn't magic you know, that's what I imagine, at least. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, people often on YouTube, they will say, like, you have to, once you once your channel becomes locked into a certain topic, you can't just start producing different kind of content on your channel. You have to start a second YouTube channel where you produce that different kind of content. And if it, it maybe if it does well there, then maybe you can integrate it into your main channel. Yeah, and you do see a lot of creators do that. Um, for me personally, the reason why I didn't do that is one, I am a father of two. I do have a full-time job, uh, outside of this. So already time-wise, I felt like I was giving it a lot of my time and not spending it with my family. Um, so to me to start a whole nother page was a big deal. What I ended up doing was starting an Instagram, which I had not had one before, and then made it so that at least I had two channels that I could help grow, but make it open to all TCGs. And I knew I would take a loss, but I thought that it would even out. Once I started getting people that are into new games, they would take over some of the people that I lost from the other side. So, And it, it has. It's starting to even out very well now. So that, That's a good question I wanted to ask you, which was, you know, how do you strike a balance between keeping up with the CCGs and content creation with being a parent? What is that like for you? It is stressful. <laughs> it is stressful. <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> oh, with me, what I think is I try to make sure that For example, I typically don't do anything until after 8 p.m., which is when I put my kids to bed. Um, So if I'm going to do content or anything like that, typically it's after that time. Um, Luckily, because a lot of my content is meme-related, it's easy to pop out content sometimes. But if it's anything where I want to do a skit, yeah, I typically just try to do it after my kids are asleep because I don't want to take time away from them. But also, too, like trying to do a skit when you have two kids running around is also a, it's a lot harder. So probably the big question, and if we're talking about MTG Finance, maybe the biggest question in MTG Finance is, was the one ring worth $2 million? Uh, I think the hype of the ring was worth $2 million. Well, do you think it was a good thing or how about this? Was it a good thing or a bad thing for Magic? I think it was a great thing for Magic. I think that's probably one of the most exciting things that has happened in a trading card game in general. 
I think mm-hmm. it was something that it brought everyone's attention to it. Now, when I say that it's a good thing, I mean financially, it was a good thing. When it came to the players, I think it may have been one of the things that is slowly ruining these top-end games right now, like Pokemon. Uh, even newer games that are coming out, if you follow One Piece, uh, some of Dragon Ball Super, I feel like this whole chase for money is making it very hard on the player, the person that actually wants to enjoy the game, and it makes it so that it's hard to get product. For example, Lorcana, uh, that right there is is a game that is pretty much stepping on its own toes as it's coming out. It had a chance to really make a difference, and I feel like Disney fumbled it, unfortunately. Because yeah, the, the there's this huge product is just not there at all. It is not. And even when it was, it was taken by scalpers. It wasn't taken by people that wanted to enjoy the game. Uh, LGSs, at least in my area, I feel like handled the entire release of that horribly because in their eyes, I, uh, you know, obviously this is not based on anything that I have evidence of or anything like that, but I feel like they used Lorcana in a way to make up for the lost money that magic caused them. Mm-hmm. Wait, you, oh, the scalpers did that? No, the LGSs, like, in oh, my area, LGS. yeah. Oh. I feel like what they ended up doing was they were told, you know, here's an MSRP of what this product is. They tripled that price right at the LGS level because they're like, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I make my money off of this because I've already lost so much money on Magic's mm. issues right now. Yeah, basically the... The middlemen are getting completely squashed in this, and it's like making them. And now they're having to run their businesses poorly. People aren't going to be trusting them nearly as much. It's just not good for business. And the LGS has been very as a cornerstone. It's like the modern chess hall for these for these type of games and more. And now that these, uh, you know, their the economics of running a store are become coming into question. But I do also think it's interesting what you said there about the idea that Lorcan is stepping on its own toes because yeah, it's like the game exists out there, but can how easy is it to play? How can can you get product? I think we were saying that there was another game out there that feels kind of like that sorcery, where it's not super available and you know it's now become more of a collector's item than it is the actual game that people play. It seems. Hundred percent, and I I actually have money in sorcery, and I will say this: sorcery is a very very fun game, uh. But you can't find anybody to play it with because nobody has the money to even be able to get into it at this point. Uh, anything alpha, you're not if you're not paying at minimum, you know, five six hundred dollars into the twelve hundred dollars, you're not getting a box at this point. Um, and it's horrible. It's horrible. Oh, wow. It's horrible. That is like such an expensive box. And I know that the game, I mean, the game had a lot of hype around it. I know that that Kickstarter really, you know, sh- you know, did very well. But at the same time, it's like, how is a game going to be worth really? How is it going to maintain that sort of price point if nobody has, has those nostalgic, nostalgic memories, memories moving, moving forward, forward of actually playing, playing the game? game. Like, like Magic, Magic the Gathering cards, I, it, it, it makes sense why some of those older ones are worth so much. Because, because you, actually you actually have nostalgia, nostalgia for either having had the card when you were younger and you lost it, or you always wanted to get that card. Yeah, 100%. I, I think that sorcery specifically, um, the hype may have killed it. And, and I want you to understand, I'm not anti-collectors. 
Uh, I'm a collector myself. Uh, but I believe that there is a separation that the TCG needs to make at its level to make it so that there could still be a collector market, but also be a player's market. Um, and I have my views on how that can be done. I don't know if maybe it's just me throwing ideas out that of a business that I don't know. Maybe you guys could give me some insight into it. Um, but I think that there is a ability of doing a, uh, a market for people that want to play and a market for people that want to collect hand in hand and make it so that everybody's happy. But I don't know if, like I said, if it's an issue on the card creator side that makes it so that nobody thinks about this. But This was something that we actually thought a lot about when we started designing X Seekers of Fortune because... Designing X Seekers of Fortune was a direct response to what was happening in Magic. If Magic was going strong right now, X Seekers of Fortune wouldn't exist because I'd still be too busy playing Magic to think about fixing Magic's problems for mm -hmm. myself and other players. And the way we've kind of approached it is game pieces should always be accessible to players. We can create awesome collector's items through cosmetic variants but we want the opportunity for players to have access to the game, game pieces that they need to play the game whenever they want it at a, at, a, at a price that is stable and affordable. Because ultimately, we're making a game because we want players to have a gameplay experience, not because we want to print money. And I think that's part of the problem right now is people didn't understand for the longest time that Magic's business was printing money. They didn't realize that Magic actually just printed money. And then now you see Disney and all these other companies waking up to it and realizing, hey, if you can create, create a collector's feeding frenzy, you can print money. You can take cardboard and turn it into cash. It's cardboard alchemy. And we are rejecting that because that's not why we're doing this. Like This is about playing a game. And that's why the, the play experience is self-contained. It's why the pieces are designed not to be inherently valuable. And we'll come up with cool things for collectors that run alongside it. What, like I said, mm -hmm. cosmetic variants, some really cool things that maybe you can access outside of the game that are collectible. But as far as the core game, we don't want it to be cost prohibitive to play X Seekers of Fortune, ever, full stop. Ah. And that's, a, that's awesome. That's one of the things that drew me to you guys, honestly. Um, you know, watching you guys in the Discord talking, and I kind of did stock your um, <laughs> your TikTok for a while there. So listening to you, you know, talk between your podcasts and just kind of giving your ideas, and then being able to speak to you guys directly, uh, you know, it made it very easy to want to back X Seekers. Well, appreciate you saying that, uh, Brian. We've learned so much from you, and 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 hope to continue to learn from you because. You know, you have a very, very um, broad knowledge of the TCG space. I think you really understand what motivates players. And I think you see the problems. And I think you have some great ideas about how to solve them. So we look forward to picking your brain for as long as you'll allow us to. Definitely, 100%. I enjoy the conversations. And like I said, I like seeing it from your guys' side, developer side. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we would love to give you, you know, um, share that information if you, you know, want to pick our brains for a TikTok or anything like that in the future. Uh, feel free. Uh, I guess before we move on to the other games, and since we did spend so much time dunking on Magic, we should probably uh, make, you know, just have a few broad questions about our love for Magic. Because I think, you know, like, 
I'm a big believer to hate something, you have to love it. And so if we're, you know, we have, I think we should show our, some of our loves for magic. So there was a couple of questions here that we sort of just wanted to get your take, get, find out what kind of player of Magic the Gathering are you with some of these broader questions. Um, so for example, who is your favorite Magic the Gathering commander? Ooh, my favorite commander right now, I'll say it's uh, Shalai and Halar. That's Ooh. my favorite. Yeah, that's uh, that's my favorite deck to play. It's my most C E D H deck that I have. Um, What's its power level? Uh, it's a seven, obviously. Oh <laughs> 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 uh, no, I I think it's uh, I think it's a nine. I think it's a nine. It's not it's not a deck that wins all the time by like turn four or five, but it does have if you get those perfect draws, it will end the game in four to five turns. What's your favorite card in the deck? My favorite card in the deck, um, actually, Bright Palm, the new Bright Palm, that also came in in that that was actually the original commander for that deck, uh, but I changed it to be Shalyn Halar, but that card, I think, its ability is insane. I don't think I've played with Bright Palm yet. Yeah, I I'll tell you the ability. So it is, and it has one of these new, uh, you know, keywords that have been added. So it has backup one, which is when this creature enters the battlefield, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. If that creature is another creature, it gains the following ability until end of turn. So if it's another creature that you're giving the plus one, plus one to, it gains whenever this creature attacks, double the number of plus one, plus one counters on target creature, that creature can't be blocked by creatures with power two or less than t this turn. Oh, wow. Yeah. So pretty much what you end up doing uh, with this is you put it on a card that already has a lot of plus one, plus one counters, and uh -huh. then you double it and make it so that nobody can kind of chump block it, um, and then you just swing in for, for heavy damage. <laughs> I had a commander that would play really well with that card. I'm trying to remember what the name was. It's been years since I played with him. He was team. I want to say he was teamer. Who are you talking about? Your deck? Yeah, one of my decks. It was the one that wasn't rune. <laughs> oh, uh, was it the, the teamer? Interesting. I know. I am. I am blanking I don't even on the name. Remember you playing a teamer deck? Yeah, it was not my. It was not a powerful deck, but it had that. It, the commander was like. I forgot what, like, every time you cast a spell, it got a plus one, plus one command counter. So you would build that sucker up until right, you Animar? could swing up. Animar, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Animar that, would play that well. That card's then. crazy. <laughs> yeah. The only problem with Animar is he's so susceptible. Like, the second he gets hit by a, uh, like, you know, send out, like, a remove from game, and then, like, if you blink him, he's, he's the reset. It's, it was, he was a glass cannon. He's got a lot of procs, though, doesn't he? Doesn't he have protection? Oh, I think he had colors? protection white and black, I want to say. That would make sense, given that he's too Yeah, white. but then you got, mis what was it, um, Mystifying Maze? Uh, Mystifying Maze or Maze, Maze of Ith? Are you talking Maze about? Maze of Ith, that's it. Yeah. Mystifying Maze is, but is Mystifying Maze the one that removes from play? I don't remember our Maze of Ith. I remember one of those removed the... I mean, okay, one removes... Yeah, it is. There was one that, like, removed somebody maze. from play. We'll yes. remove it from play. It says, four, four colorless tap, exile target 
attacking creature an opponent controls at the beginning of the next end step return it to the battlefield tapped under its owner's control. So yeah, against Animar that would have been real strong. Yeah, and it's often sitting in the back row and with a land, so you don't always notice that it's out, like especially when you've been the botanist for the night. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so when it comes to, because we've actually, you know, this has been very important research for us. Uh, Mark Rosewater's famous uh, player psych uh, psychotypes, psychographs. You know, John, Ch Johnny, Timmy, Spike, and there's also Vorthros. Uh, mm -hmm. Which one are you? Do you know? Uh, so do you have the definition of each? I, I think have it's a general definition. So yeah, I, go ahead, um, Danny. So like a Timmy is like someone who likes to do like the big splashy things. Like they like to play like Gahalta, for instance, right? Because it's a giant dinosaur. A Johnny mm -hmm. is like the person who's always trying to come up with the most like clever combo. And then Spike is highly motivated to win. Like they're just seeking the optimal strategy. Um, and then Vorthros is like the lore is, is where, where, it's, where it's at for them. So for me, I'm in a John. You said a Johnny was the second one? Uh, they're the combo ones, the ones who like want to prove how clever they are kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's how I like to play. I like to find ways to combo off or put abilities together to create an interesting sack. I don't care if I win. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, honestly, I have no, no care in it, and I've made people rage quit because they they don't like that. A lot of people that and you know that it kind of stinks because there is that uh, that that part of the community, the actual players that are very toxic about winning and it sinks because yeah. I'm not, that's not why I play magic the gathering. Uh, no. you know, my life is already as an adult, my life is stressful <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm playing because I want to have fun. So yeah. I'll play crazy decks. I make insane decks. Um, and yeah, I rather see combos than see a win. Yeah. It's like uh, what do they call those? Ben something, Ben something machines. What are they called? Do you know what I'm talking about? Joel? No, the, I can't say those I do. like machines you make that have like all the random components in it. And it's like a Marble Goldberg Rolls device. Yeah. 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 That, whatever that is. The Rube, Rube Goldberg. Is that what you said? I think Rube Goldberg device. Yeah. That's how I feel when I'm playing commander and I have a bunch of components out and I'm like, okay, so like what exactly can I do this turn? I can use this ability with this ability to have this effect. And then I can go into my graveyard and pull this out to search for something here, which I'll, and it's like, how much mana can I, you know, like I love that feeling of like, cool. This mm -hmm. is a very novel board state. That being said, like generally speaking, I, I play as like a spike. So I, I, I don't really enjoy the games that I play because I'm making decisions that aren't fun. Yeah, yeah. Trust, and I have to, I have to test X Seekers of Fortune with this guy, folks. Come on now. Uh, and I'm not I, like that I one will play testing. You got to, you got to give me credit. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I, I do things for science. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I would have to say that. I mean, between the three, I am probably the Timmy amongst all of us. I do think I'm a Timmy, like a Timmy Johnny Johnny hybrid. But just to be pure about it, I'm probably. I, I have to admit, I'm pretty t Timmy. I just want to do. I want to do cool things. I want to do cool, powerful things. At the end of the day, now sometimes those cool, powerful things are clever and very efficient uses of mana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I get I get salty. You know, if I don't win enough if i was at like at a table and i was obviously the weakest deck and i just was not winning I, i'd eventually get salty but i don't have to win every game so i don't think i'm much of a i don't think i'm a spike yeah no, don't, no. Tell my, don't tell my pod this but typically if i if i go through a losing streak and i feel like i need to win there's certain decks that i make sure to pop <laughs> out because i know that that's going to be one that 
Yeah. No, we all, we all, every now and then you need a win. We get it. I, well, so, okay, that's your uh, psychograph. Uh, what is your magic color, though? Uh, so it's horrible because my magic color is so different from my personality, but really? I'm, I'm, I like Rakdos, but it's so not, it's not like, again, it's not the type of play style that I like to play. I'm not very aggro. I'm not about, but unfortunately that just seems to be the color that fits the combo. Also, I feel like mm-hmm. black and red have tons of combos in them. Uh, and then are you an aristocrats player? I am not. I am not. Nope, nope, nope. (laughs) Uh, My other colors, I'll say, is... um, Damn, I forgot what it's called, though, but it's uh, red, white, green. Oh, that's... Uh, Naya? Naya, Naya. Yeah. Yeah. So those are my two, Rakdos and Naya. Nice. Um, I guess I should ask this question, because obviously uh, this is probably maybe the most important question we have here, which is, uh, why do blue players get such an unfair rap? (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I, honestly, if I, me, it's a, I think it's just a meme at this point. I, I think yeah. it's nothing against blue players. It's just, it's the meme of it, of like, it's kind of like, like there's a little brother and we love them to death and we'd never let anybody hurt them, but, but we just have to make fun of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's definitely something about blue play that is just frustrating to especially if you want to like do things (laughs) like blue players are like "Eh, i think it'd be better if we just like all try to do things and don't yeah yeah exactly they like just pausing the game (laughs) here's a question i wanted to ask it might it might tilt back towards controversial but um if you had a magic wand and you could wave it a magic wand uh to change one thing about magic what would it be oof uh, the fact that uh, Hasbro ever bought them. <laughs> I feel like that's when the greed came in and when they started appe- trying to please uh, stock market holders and stuff like that. I think they were doing just fine before that acquisition. Or ac- acquisition. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that would be the one thing. I I feel like magic let the money kind of and, and and honestly sometimes i wonder if on watsy's side if it's draining for them too like it, watching their baby kind of slowly go down the drain but like i know they're just trying to meet numbers at this point you know they're they're trying to constantly meet that one because i think it was when they reached one billion when uh double masters came out that they had reached one billion in uh, revenue. From that moment on, it was crazy. I remember when they did the presentation showing all the product that was coming out, and I just I felt everybody just get to the point where they were just like, we we can't afford this anymore. Yeah. Like, and it, you know, besides the fact that the price of the product is skyrocketing the economy inflation in general right now is out of control and it's hard to find that money to spend on a card game as much as you love it um and i in their eyes i don't know what they're seeing if they're like okay well maybe we can get enough money from the sharks to make up for the poor guy that can't buy packs anymore 
but you're losing that love. There's nobody, and and I keep saying it, we're not going to see it right now, but where we're going to see the big changes, give it five, ten years from now, is where magic's really going to feel it. Because right now, you know, when I think of magic, when I think of Pokemon, all these card games, I think of my son right now. And I say, man, when I was his age and I first got my Pokemon pack, how excited I was, you know, getting three bucks and going to the store, 250 for a pack, going to the store, buying a pack, and not even putting cards in sleeves because it didn't matter, you were just playing the game, and I look at my son, and he wants to play, and I'm just like, buddy, like, I can't spend, you know, if I try to get my son into Commander, let's say it's Commander for an instance, yeah. uh, if you want to buy a pre-con, you're talking about fifty to eighty dollars right now for a precon. Oh, that's how, a freaking video game. Yeah how how can I justify that purchase to a child? You know what I mean? Uh, and I said right now, you know, uh, kind of sw- not switching, but in that same subspe- uh, subject, Pokemon has just come out with a product that I think is genius. That I think is exactly what we need, which is called it's called My First Battles, and yeah. it's pretty mm-hmm. much two decks. It's nine ninety nine price point, and it's perfect for if I want to teach my kid how to play, if I want to just yeah. have some decks at my house where I don't have to worry about power levels, booster packs, anything like that. I think that's genius, and the thing is is that obviously maybe on their side, they're not losing money, but obviously they're not making a ton of money off of a $10 product, but if you can get somebody hooked off that $10 product, they'll buy booster packs for years. Um, oh, 100%. But that's what I think Magic is missing. Ma- you know, Magic, yes, they have, I think they also have, like, a starter deck thing um, that, that you can kind of get in. But once you're in, your price point skyrockets. It goes from $10 oh. to now you're spending close to 100 if you really want to do anything in that game at this point. And I, I, it doesn't work well for kids. It doesn't work well. So you're going to see it right now. Yeah, there's a lot of people like me that have been playing Magic for, you know, 20, 30 years. There's all these sharks that are just trying to make money off of it. Give it 10 years from now. All of the people my age are going to be done with it because they got priced out. All the sharks are going to already drain the money from it. And Magic is going to be trying to find new ways to pull people into stores. But look at Standard. You know, you couldn't go to an LGS on a Friday and not find Friday Night Magic. But Commander has completely eradicated that. Nobody wants to play Standard. Nobody wants to play Modern. You know, Modern is a fortune to play. When you need to buy four of every card, it's even worse. You know what I mean? At least Commander, it's one of each card. So if you put, you know, a $20 card here, a $40 card here, but... You know, for example, I was a huge Phyrexian fan, so when Phyrexia came out, I wanted to build an Elish Norn deck, but, you know, you're talking about putting in, for every four cards, a minimum of 150 to $180. It's just, it's not feasible. It's just the, not. The, and the other thing that I think helps Commander with its price points, even though obviously people are rolling around with really expensive Commander decks, but they can play them forever. Uh, and there's so d- much diversity in the commander meta that like you, there, there's all kinds of strategies you can employ. So there's there's fun competitive decks you can have that you know it's not like in one of the, like modern or or standard or legacy or vintage where at any given time maybe there's like just a handful of decks that are competitive. Like I feel like in EDH, especially because it's a singleton format, 
the variability now granted cdh i know that they they, they kind of get around the variability and 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 truly in, in the competitive space there's probably not that many decks that are competitive but like at a casual kitchen table environment i mean there's like no end to like the amount of viable commander decks you could see someone roll up with so yeah well i would also say that I think because of the singleton format, another aspect of it is you can you can buy the like you know you can get the McDonald's version of the card or you can get the McDonald's at home version of the card. You know you can you can find a card that does almost the same thing. It probably costs a little bit too much or probably it doesn't have as efficient of the ability, but it'll it, it'll act as like the diet coke version, if you will. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you know, there's cards that you can get that. You know, the ability will be close enough where, you know, it's worth it. Maybe it'll cost you a little more to play it on the yeah. actual field, but uh, it still does the same thing that you want it to do. Plus, I mean, who would... Uh, but to go back to what you were saying, though, Danny, you mentioned that the EDH deck can last, a, you know, a long time, practically the rest of your time playing Magic, and that is a huge thing. It's like, uh, I'm not, you know, standard rotates, modern will... You know, I don't know if it's happened in a while, but modern will ban cards or decks out of existence. You know, you just just like you could spend thousands of dollars building or well, hundreds for standard, possibly thousands for modern. Who knows how much for legacy? And you could end up with a deck that is here today, gone tomorrow. A hundred percent. It's it's definitely happening. People. I mean, people put together splinter splinter twin and then it was gone or pot and it was gone. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, th this, this is a while now <laughs> showing my my age, but like. Those were traumatic experiences for people playing those decks at that time. Like, can you imagine spending $600 and then to put Splinter Twin together? And then they're like, oh, yeah, you can't play that card anymore. Like, that's a terrible feeling. Mm -hmm. One of the things that really we've been trying to do is like what we're trying to do, I think, is make sure that X Seekers of Fortune being a, a fully playable game for two players, a complete curated play environment, all the game pieces you need costs less than one pre-con commander deck. I think if we can do that, then we're at a good price point. Like, I think that that's, that's a, that, that creates a lot of value, um, given that the pre-cons for one person and they're not competitive out of the box anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of been the way we've thought about that. Um, all right. I, I want to ask one more question about the magic wand, if I can, Joel, before we move on to other t subjects. I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> standpoint counselor. Standpoint counselor. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, if you have the magic wand and you could remove one card from magic existence, what would it be? Uh, Sasa's Oracle. Ooh. Okay. Yep. yep. Get rid I of wish it. That. Remind me what that does. Uh, that's the one that's part of the combo where everybody you pretty much mill yourself for your entire deck so that you can win. Um, but I'll read the exact ability on it. What, like, is it the enabler? Like, if you can't draw a card, you win the win game? game. It's, no, yeah, it's the win con. Yeah, like, it's okay. a win con, yeah. So it's, yeah, uh, just... when Sasa's Oracle enters the battlefield, look at the top of X cards of your library, where X is your devotion to blue. Put up to one of them on top of your library and the rest on the bottom of your library in random order. If X is greater than or equal to the number of cards in your library, you win the game. Oh. Uh, yeah. And that card is... That's an $8 card. And I can't tell you how many times I've lost to that little combo. And mm -hmm. it just gets so boring over and over again watching that combo go off. 
that I just, I wish it was gone. And it stinks because at the end of the day, removing one card isn't going to fix all the broken combos that are in Magic. Uh, but you also kind of, it's one of those things where you have to accept it because the game's been around for so long. For them to always make sure that a new card works with every single card that they've come out with, I can't imagine it's easy. I can't imagine no, it. No, absolutely no. not. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons why I have a lot of grace for Watsi is like, I do think that the people inside the building really care. And I think that they are somewhat hamstrung by the lead time that they have to abide by because they get our feedback and it's like years before they can like show us that they were listening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and that's a really difficult position to be yeah. in. Um, the next set that's next set to release is answering questions that people were grumbling about two years ago, maybe three, right? Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that, we, we, we dropped the amount of episodes that we have like ready to go because we got frustrated that we were getting notes that we had already addressed, you know, like you know, because uh, the episode that we like it, in the way that we were recording our podcast, we would record this episode. It wouldn't release for three weeks. So if anybody had, you know, if we had to make an announcement or if there was any sort of commentary that's people were like, oh, you need to fix your camera shot or something like that. It's like, OK, yeah, we did that. It's just you haven't seen the next three episodes, you know, so it would just made it a lot of sense. And I can't imagine having years be like your wait time to actually get, you know, to answer people's questions and complaints. Yeah, and I imagine like sometimes by the time they see it fixed, a new problem has shown up. <laughs> that they're like, why oh, do you yeah. even fix that? I don't even care about that anymore. <laughs> or after, I'm, I'm adjusted to that. Like, why did you change it? Uh, I was playing Marvel Snap, and like they would address problems within a month, and even then, people would like still like act like it was the end of the world while the problem was going on. You know, so. See, and, and I'll say this: this is one of the reasons again that I like backing indie games. Because yeah. let me tell you, I love being able to say like, or, you know, for example, I know this is something that you guys went through where people are playtesting and they find a broken combo and they let you know and you're able to change it right then and there and show people and like get that feedback. Mm-hmm. Let me, That pulls me in as a player because it, I don't know, I guess the, the feeling like somebody's actually listening to you does feel nice. Um, so it, it is awesome to be in that age, you know, I, I wish that this is how it's always been. I wish that when I was younger and I had way more time that things were like this, but hopefully maybe for my son, when he's older, he'll get to experience an era of like all these indie games being able to come out and actually thrive. Um, because yeah, I, I think this small, like, paying attention to the little guy thing is the way to go when it comes to these indie games. And when they do that, the, they will succeed because of the community that they create at the bottom level. Yeah, that's that's great, great way of looking at it. And I, I hope that more and more people do that. Um, I think it's better to, to build your community and focus on your community and be player and LGS-led over product-led. I mean, the, the product, when you, when you, I mean, when you start putting out all these products and you just kind of take both the stores and the players for granted, I think you've lost your way. Yeah. And it's sad, man. But it's one of those things where I understand it because money, money does rule the world, but it stinks. It stinks when you just want to enjoy. Mm hmm. There, there's a diminishing point of returns when it comes to money. There, I was just watching a video 
yesterday, uh, Patrick Williams uh, on YouTube posted a video about the death of cinema. He presented it like an actual like uh, murder mystery, like uh, what is it, Death on the Nile, or uh, yeah, he, it's a really good presentation. But it's just one of those things. Like I think you you said it best yourself. It's like they chase money and they find a formula to get money, but the problem is that formula then makes like starts destroying the inst the the like the tropes and institutions that were already in place that kept the machine going long-term. And that's almost like rocket fuel. You, yeah, you get to space, but you burned it all away. And then you're just, you're just like out there floating around in orbit. And I feel like a lot of businesses are going through that. I don't, I mean, maybe it's just a trend, you know, the, uh, because like more businesses are going through it. Maybe it's just a trend of this new technology that we have in, uh, you know, through the internet is causing people to think differently and maybe it's, I don't know that, that that's now I'm in speculation territory, but it definitely seems like people's way of thinking have, has changed since the internet was put into our, into our pockets. Yeah. And, and, you know, like for example, saying how you're saying that there's other companies that are also going through this, look at right now, streaming services. Um, uh -huh. when you think back, uh, you know, let's say it was the early two thousands, I think was when Netflix came out. Uh, and they they went to Blockbuster, and they said, you know, this is what we want to do. We want to mail movies directly to people, no late fees, stuff like that. Blockbuster laughed in its face. Yeah. Blockbuster killed itself by not joining that deal, by not buying Netflix when they could have. Netflix then grew into this whole streaming thing. It's like, we're going to get movies right to your home at all times. People started getting to the point where, they were stop stop paying for cable because it was better to just get these services stuff like that. Now look at what these services are doing. What created them was the fact that your price point was good. It made it so that we could get away from the tyranny that was cable. And now you've become that evil. At this point, you know you you get Netflix twenty six ninety nine if you have it in multiple houses. Disney Plus another twenty, and they're also going up. Uh, you know, then they have all these other little ones, uh, Peacock, AMC, HBO Max, all these things, and now it's like, I'm not saving money compared to cable. I might, I could just go back to cable at this point, and I would save mm -hmm. money, but what it's getting oh. to is that now people are starting to leave their service, but they're like, as long as we're making the money from charging the people that do stay, we don't care about anybody else. We don't care about the poor people, and it's... It, it's horrible because you're right. It is. It is not just a single business thing right now. It's everyone, uh, and I don't know if it necessarily is the internet and technology that did it. I think uh, what we went through as a society when COVID went down, and mm -hmm. how everything shut down, and the level to where it got to. I think now that we're coming out of that atmosphere and companies are just thinking about how do I make that money that I missed out on all that time instead of just accepting it as a we went through something and we all need to get by it. They're like, how can I get ahead on all the money that I lost out? And it doesn't matter if the little guy loses out because I just need to make that money back. And maybe if they weren't like that, if they were more of like, okay, we'll take the loss, we've already passed the time, so it's not like anything's going to get better in the past, let's move forward now, and continue everything going, and, you know, help people out, because right now, people need help, 
People don't they mean, sure do. you know, like, for example, I have my kids and my kids go to my mom's house sometimes. So she has my Netflix account. So now I have to pay an extra $10 because I have it in two houses and I can't take it away because what are my kids going to watch when they're there? You know, so it's like I'm forced between a rock and a hard place. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's happening to a lot of parents and a lot of people. And it's, it yeah. stinks. It's a have very a difficult situation. They want to watch Ahsoka. The what? I said, heaven forbid they want to watch Ahsoka instead of, uh, oh, I don't know, on what's, on, what's on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, go ahead, Joel. I actually, I don't think I had anything to say. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I mean, I think, I definitely think, you know, it, it's, it's a time for new practices and, you know, hopefully, you know, just like Netflix disrupted Blockbuster and the whole movie industry, we can see some new companies come in here and, and mix things up by offering consumers good value again because the incumbents have taken them for granted. And, and one, one company that seems to be doing that very well right now, uh, it, well, th- not the company, but Alpha Clash. Uh, I don't, I, I know that they're, is it, what is it? It's Rising, what is the name of, uh, Rising Empire. So Rising Empire has Alpha Clash, which I know that you are very, very into. And so I, I wanted to know from your perspective, what does Alpha Clash do better than any other game? I think where they went hard into was lore. And mm-hmm. and and I'll, I'll throw this out there. I believe right now, if you want to be a TCG that comes out on top, you have to pick a lane. And it's either... Are you going to go the competitive, organized play lane? Are you going to go the lore lane? Or are you going to go the affordable lane? You have to pick one of them. Uh, because if you don't, you're you're going to end up, for example, along the lines of sorcery. Sorcery yep. went in a way of, you know, they, they wanted to go the competitive route, but they also wanted to make a game that was fun, but then they also wanted to go with a game that was collectible, and it ended up, making it where there wasn't enough products for everybody. You have to pick a lane and grow that lane first. Uh, you okay. can't go for everything. You, you can't be magic right out of the gate. Start <clears throat> start small. Not even magic was magic right out of the gate. Exactly. So I think with Alpha Clash, they've gone lore heavy. Uh, they came out with their graphic novel first to give everyone a preview of their characters and how their universe was going to be, their IP. Uh, then they gave the first set of their card game. It got everybody hooked. And then they started with, oh, we're coming out with a novel that's going to have everything. Uh, you know, it's going to have information that wasn't in the graphic novel. It's going to go beyond that. And I think that's where their community is really locked in. And uh, I also think the art, the art that they picked was genius. It's something that appeals to a nostalgia of a lot of people that like that old 90s superhero look. Uh, I think it was genius for them to go that route. And they're really starting to create an IP that I feel a lot of people can get behind. That's amazing. Yeah, I I mean, I've I've been very, very uh, impressed watching them um, grow their their community and, and develop the lore Joel and I right now we're, we're writing a graphic novel and you know it's it's a heavy lift so it's it's super impressive to see other people have already done that and and kind of paved the way for others to come behind them and 
kind of say, hey, look, you know, we're, we're trying to tell a story and, you know, hopefully you'll be interested, come along for the ride. So um, we definitely have been paying attention to what Alpha Clash is doing. Um, but what, what would you say is the best way to learn more about Alpha Clash? How, how, if I wanted to educate myself on how to play and start learning about the lore, where should I jump in? Uh, so I think right now the best way of jumping in is right into the community. Uh, everybody is so kind in that community. They they want to get people playing. They support it. Like uh, you know, I'll throw this for example that right now the, their Kickstarter is going on for the novel. Uh, we just made it to a hundred thousand today, so it's a huge feat. Uh, but it was done honestly. If you were in the Discord. There was a whole bunch of us in there hyping it up and saying, hey, if, if everybody can do at least $20 more, you know, get yourself an extra case. And within like a two hour period, we got it over the 100000 today. And it's because wow. of the community. It wasn't like we got extra backers. It was literally us inside of a Discord saying, who can afford an extra 10 bucks? Who can do an extra 20 Somebody was like, you know what? Here's 50 and it's the community, and it's because of the fact that everyone in that community right now absolutely backs that game, and they are totally open to teach you how to play if you want to learn how to play, to teach you about the cards. Everybody has tons of product that they're willing to, you know, either sell or exchange for. Uh, Ryotin is a great guy. He He's created on his site uh, demo decks that for like six bucks and if you want to get yourself a couple demo decks and learn how to play the game it has everything that you need uh they also have their clash kit which is two full pre-cons with all the instructions it's all in a qr code you can get it on their website um but yeah i think i think that is it, it's it's what's helping them grow so much the community the word of mouth uh is incredible it's incredible the the support within that community right now so if, if it's something that you want to learn more i would say jump right into their their facebook group or right into the discord and they'll you know wait for you with open arms that's awesome what advice would you have for you know new card game developers in terms of developing a community like what have you seen be really effective what do you think are the, the best things to be doing to really let players know that they have a home with your game? Communication. I think communication right now, like I, like I said before, I think right now everybody wants to feel heard um, mm -hmm. and wants to feel included. Uh, you know, uh, once again, we went through COVID where nobody, you know, these are people that like going to LGSs to play card games. We couldn't do that for three yeah. years you know what i mean even still now there's some people that aren't comfortable enough to do that stuff um and which you know it evolved into people playing more let's say magic arena playing on spell table stuff like that but i think right now is a perfect time for indie games to come in and say we're listening to you we hear you we see you we know that you're what can is what can make us and we're here for that ride as long as you're here for that ride. And I think if you do that, you, you know, and it won't be fast. It's not going to be fast. It, listen, with Alpha Clash, it was not fast. Or even right now, for me to play, I have to drive like 35 minutes every week to get to the oh, nearest wow. LGS that plays that game. 
But once again, the support and the community is what makes me even want to drive 35 minutes to get there. If not, I would just say, you know what, this was a bust, the game didn't blow up, I'm going to sell all my product. But no, I'm willing to play because one, the game is unbelievably fun, uh, which, you know, it's the same way that I feel about X Seekers. Uh, now, the one edge that I say that you guys have over other games, and I think I told you this, is I feel like X Seekers is a very quick game to learn, but it doesn't change the fact of how much strategy is in the game. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I know you guys quoted me on this, but X Seekers is like playing chess, which I think is a great kind of like avenue to take in a card game because that, that mental aspect is what a lot of us older guys want. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I feel like we're a market that gets ignored. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. there, there's a lot of dads out there that want to be able to play but can't get to LGSs all the time and to have a game yeah. that's like, hey, it's at my house, I have all the cards, I just need you to come here and we can play it is awesome. It's unbelievably awesome to be able to have that kind of experience where, you know, I don't have all the time to make decks and get cards and do this and do research on how things work. I just want to pick up a deck and play right now and X Seekers gives you that. And I like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's uh I mean it's probably something we were looking for too. That's why we designed the game. <laughs> So Joel, I mean, we have a few more questions here, but I, I also think you know we we've we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I, maybe we maybe we do one or two more. Um, is there anything in particular that you wanted to cover? I I really, I I mean here here are the questions that I, I I'd like to hit you with. Um, I I think I would like to ask. Um, so I'd like to ask about what what characteristics of a new card game. Uh, catch your uh, really catch your attention, and I also want to ask this question about what areas uh, do we need to see more innovation in as far as card games are concerned. Um, I think those two would be a good good kind of wrap up. Joel, do you feel like that's? I think that there's. I think those two are really uh, interesting. You know, I think they could definitely lead us off. I would like to wrap up with when you evaluate a Kickstarter, what are okay. you looking for, out Perfect. for? So how about you ask those two and I'll, I'll ask that one and then go into the inch, inch of the show. Okay. Sound good to you. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That sounds good. And, and also, like I said, like, listen, I, I enjoyed this and I'm totally open to coming other times. So don't feel like you have to ask every question. <laughs> okay. well, I, I mean, I want to ask the Kickstarter question as almost yeah. market research. Yeah. I, okay. All right. Well, we'll ask these three more questions and then, yeah, we'll absolutely have you back on. Like one of the things we, we, we've talked about uh, just privately is like, Hey, like if Brian enjoys doing this and it's natural free flowing, like we kind of want you to be like the TCG expert that comes on the show on a regular cadence to kind of, you know, fill us in what's going on, tell us what, what we should be paying attention to. Uh, if we have a TCG topic, come in and kind of be like the expert you know, opinion on it. So just like a reoccurring guest, if you're down for it kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Totally open. Sweet. All right. Uh, all right. I'm going to, I'm going to ask this question real naturally. <laughs> uh, uh, so what, what would you say are some characteristics uh, new card games have that really catch your attention when you see a new card game out and about uh, what are the things that really draw you in? 
first, right off the bat, art. I think art is a huge draw in right now. Um, because of the fact that we've just seen so much. And, and we've seen so much content regurgitated in different ways. Uh, that when you see something that's new and different, uh, it really it really gets you hooked on it. Because uh, technically, like that, I told you guys, like I really liked the the art that you guys initially went with. Um, obviously, it was uh, AI uh, AI art. Uh, but you know, when I addressed you directly, that was one of the first questions I asked you. I was like, "Well, what are you guys thinking, artist wise? Where's the direction that you want to go?" Uh, because yeah, I think I think art is very very important in card games. Uh, we all want to see pretty things. Not necessarily yeah. foils, but pretty pictures, man. And it, these are, at the end of the day, it, even if it's not worth its money in cardboard, I like to think of it as mini art that you're collecting. You know, Magic mm -hmm. Magic is, you know, they have amazing artists. Uh, I've bought plenty of secret layers that have been just based on <laughs> artists. The Junji Ito art set, like, you know what I mean? So stuff like that, I definitely think is highly important if you want to get that first initial pull because it's never going to be the gameplay and it's horrible to say that but when was the last time that you were like oh yeah i definitely started playing a game because the first thing i thought of was gameplay it doesn't happen you need to learn the game and even when you first learn it you need to play so many times before you fully understand how everything works it, it, it magic for example, you know, you would have to play minimum, I say, twenty games, and even then, there's going to be keywords that you've never seen. You're gonna you're gonna play against someone, and they're gonna have a card with like shadow, and you're like, what is shadow? What does that mean? Like, oh, can't be attacked except for anything that has shadow. Can't be blocked with anything. Why would anybody have that card? <laughs> like, why would anybody have it? Like, but, why do they just call it flying or horsemanship? <laughs> like, how many words do they need for that? I should tell you that I destroyed the high school uh, lunch tables with a shadow deck. See? And, it, and you know why? Because nobody has shadow cards. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it, and it was, a. I mean, I think Mark Rosewater or one of the people in, on the Magic early blogs, like around the time, like wrote about how shadow was one of the worst designs that they had ever made because of that. You know, it's like, well, now you have to pack shadow cards in your deck. Otherwise, the other person could just run ragshot over you. It was just unfeasible. And most shadow cards were black. And back in that day, back in my day, most, most creature kill cards, targeted destruction card could not target black cards like terror. Yeah, terror. Yeah. Oh man. Uh yeah. I used to love that terror art where it's like kind of like a cycle where it's like the guy and the skeleton and like the muscle. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, 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 I do. Uh yeah. Uh, I it's pretty grim. I'm personally fond of the old school just that like creature that impish creature up in the upper left-hand corner. Yeah. Yeah, that one's a good one too. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay. Uh, what what about this? What what areas do you think that uh, card games can still innovate? Like, where would you like to see more innovation in the card game space? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where you don't think about it until you see it. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So, like, for example, uh, up to this point, I couldn't think of what a card game could do to kind of change anything. But I'll use, let's say, Sorcery, for example. Uh, they introduced this mechanic of submerging and having things be above. So, for example, if you have a creature that has flying, when you play it on the board, 
if it's flying over something, you would place it on top. But let's say if it's like an ocean, which is the water of that of that game, uh, if you play it submerged, it's underwater. So you would literally place it under the land on the playmat. So that, I think, is a very like new thing that I have never would have thought of in a card game. But it works so well, and visually it looks cool and new. Like, how many games have flying? Tons of games have flying. But now, like, on the board, visually, you have something that looks like it's flying because it's technically over. And you have things like, you know... Uh, you have a water deck where literally your creatures cannot step on land. They can only step on waters. So, like, that that I think is very uh, new, and it's what pulled me to sorcery. But when I think of, like, me trying to think of a new mechanic or something like that, it's hard because I'm not a developer. Um, but when I see something that is new, I can tell when it's a hit or a miss. Like, I, I can say, oh, yeah, like, this is definitely something that people are going to enjoy. I'm starting to see a lot more games that are using big play matted areas, kind of like, you know, I, I told you guys with X-Seeker that for me, instantly, I tell myself, wow, you guys are going to have a huge revenue maker when it comes to play mats because X-Seeker's play, uh, like, field is so perfect for play mats. Like, you guys are going to have a money maker and when you do a kickstarter i'm telling you put on a play mat and you guys will make that money because it's just it's so perfect it's so perfect mm -hmm. yeah we love it especially like uh i mean one of the things that i love about our play mat not to not to pat myself too hard on the back but i think you know danny was initially imagining the classic you know single side play mat uh, I don't know what the dimensions are, but you know, but just for your field. And I really pushed for, since it's a two player game, primarily pushing for the two sided play mat, you know, uh, that you roll out and one side's for player one and one side's for player two. I really like, yeah. Yes. Genius, <laughs> genius, genius. Because I can oh, tell you, even down. from Alpha Clash standpoint, I uh -huh. see how much is the demand for the two-player mats. Um, and even right now, during their current Kickstarter, like day three, they unveiled a double-sided playmat after they already had a single playmat that they had, like a one-sided one. And everybody rushed to buy that thing because everybody loves those double-sided playmats. Sorcery is another one doing two-sided or two-player playmats. And people uh -huh. are just all over it. Same thing in their Kickstarter. They put that two-player playmat. People went crazy over it. And now if you try to buy that online, it's 150 bucks for one of those. Alpha Clashes, same thing. It's over $100. So trust me, put that in your Kickstarter and you guys will make money because people love it. Well, write that we'll, down, write that we'll down, write that you, down. Uh, <laughs> we'll tell you some some spicy things we have in store playmat-wise off, off air. So. <laughs> okay. Well, so maybe that maybe that's the innovation. More two-player play mats, uh, games that uh, like facilitate that. Because I do know, I, I want the only thing I really know about sorcery at this point, aside of it being like you know kind of old-school magic, is that it uses a grid-based board, right? So, like you need to have like the the play mat has to ex extend between the two players. All right, guys. Well, do y'all think that's everything? Was there anything else that we needed to cover today? Not on my end. Excellent. And Danny, why don't you go ahead and plug our own uh, TikTok? Okay. Uh, we are at Megamoth Studios. Yes. 
All right, folks. Well, that's been our show. Thank you, Bryant. Thank you, Danny. I have been Joel, reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? <laughs>